0: Today's Binge Mode is brought to you by the Google Assistant. With the Google Assistant, you can complete over a million actions on your phone, in your car, and
1: around the house. One of my favorites is to play podcasts when I'm Mm. in the car. Can't be messing around with my phone. That's right. I just say, hey Google, play the latest episode of the Rewatchables podcast. Download the Google Assistant today. Binge Mode is also brought to you. Yes, you, by the ringer.com. What a great website.
0: On the site today, you can find Miles Suri's ranking of the hosts of Westworld.
1: Also, on the Ringer Podcast Network, we are launching a third recapable oh. for Westworld, the very television program that we are talking about today. This will be Westworld Season 2. It will begin this Sunday, April 22nd, after the Season 2 premiere, and it will be hosted by the Ringer's art director and masked man and yes. podcast host and really just a man of many abilities and titles, David Shoemaker and... A rotating cast of Ringer great staffers. Great and it will go live after every episode of Westworld. So if you're not already subscribed to the Recapables, go do so wherever you get podcasts.
0: And on the video side, a reminder that NBA Desktop, hosted by myself, is now doing two episodes a week. Just in time for the playoffs, you'll be getting your weekly dose of spice on Tuesdays and Fridays on the Ringer What A Great website YouTube channel. And all of our social media pages. Warning. Binge mode contains...
1: Adult content.
0: On this episode of Binge Mode, we'll be talking about episodes 6 through 10 of season 1 of Westworld, a show that broke the world land speed record for full frontal scenes of unknown actors. So if that's not your thing, please check out the recapables, where they'll also be talking about Westworld, but in less biological detail.
1: One more warning. Binge Mode contains spoilers, so... If you haven't yet had cause to furiously Google pigs in clover. Yes. Please proceed with extreme caution.
0: And now, binge mode. I have come to think of so much of consciousness as a burden, a a weight, and we have spared them that. Anxiety, self-loathing, guilt. The hosts are the ones who are free. Free here under my control.
1: Hello! Yeah! And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory nah. Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Uh, ringer.com website! Joining me today, Ooh. now that he's finally reached the center of the maze... The maze is a metaphor. <laughs> it's not... It's Ringer Staff Writer, your maester, my favorite host, Hello, Jason Concepcion. Mal,
0: now I finally understand what you were trying to tell me.
1: The thing you've wanted since that very first
0: day. To confront after this long and vivid nightmare, myself and who I must become, a co-host of (laughs) Binge Mode Weekly, where every Thursday we'll be diving deep not only into the dirt in front of Dolores' grave marker, but also into the topic that's obsessing us at the moment later this spring, we'll be diving deep to Binge Mode Harry Potter. You'll be able to find both weekly and the eventual Harry Potter pod growing closer every day. Is it yes. hot out right now? It's hot, but not even close to being <laughs> near a heat which can be thought of as hot, but not the hottest. And yet not far away. Not far <laughs> away either. You'll find the eventual Harry Potter pod and the weekly pod on the same feed. So stay subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your
1: podcasts. And guys... If you like binge mode, if you don't mind us, that's right. consider rating and reviewing this podcast.
0: That's not Orion because we need five stars, <laughs> not three. We also want to remind you that we'll be at Con of Thrones this May in Dallas. Check our Twitter feeds in the coming days for more details on our particular panels. All that is coming together. And speaking of Twitter, please follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode, aka the underscore, and join our Facebook group. Just for Binge Mode fans, every tweet could bring us closer to the center or send us spiraling toward the edges, whatever that means. Is it a metaphor
1: or is it a real maze or is it a game or not a game? What is it? Maybe it's all of the above. It could be. This week on Binge Mode, we are continuing our binge of season one of HBO's Westworld. Last week, last podcast, we looked at how episodes one through five of Westworld explored... Just some light stuff, like the nature of consciousness. Yes,
0: which is definitive. We've defined what that is. We've solved it. We've solved it. Great news, guys.
1: We've solved it. We've solved that after entire millennia of thought on this subject. We have solved it. Please listen to that if you haven't yet. Today, we are parsing episodes 6 through 10 ahead of the April 22nd season 2 premiere. And again, just to emphasize this, spoiler warning for today as always, we will be going deep on details from all of season 1 of Westworld. So slide your bulk app perception all the way to 20. Yeah,
0: that's beyond what we allow, but you can do it now. That's
1: fine. Because it's time to head to Escalante. Jason? Yeah? Since I was a child, I've always loved a good story. I believe that stories help us to ennoble ourselves, to fix what was broken in us, and to help us become the people we've dreamed of being. So let's tell a story. By offering up as brief as possible. Which we tried. (laughs) (laughs) Of a refresher on some of what actually happened in the final five episodes of season one of Westworld. By hopping on that horse with Logan. Yeah. In the nude, if you should so desire. Listen. Taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road. The man in black and Teddy on the search for the
0: maze find their journey to Praia, that wonderful little town Blocked by a battalion of Union soldiers. A soldier recognizes Teddy as one of Wyatt's former minions, and the two are captured. Teddy breaks free and massacres the soldier with a Gatling gun. Which, by the way, is like screwed into a track and can only swivel along a set angle. Just duck, guys. Duck down. You know what I mean? Good note. That's all I'm saying. Counterpoint. They are robots. (laughs) Yeah, they are robots. (laughs) With intelligence set to like nine or five.
1: Lee Sizemore. Mm Mm-hmm. Give me a little Sizemore, just quickly. <laughs> a relentless fucking experience. <laughs> this fucking guy. Who,
0: dark web theory, I believe is Jonathan Nolan's shot at his brother Christopher. I believe that's... that. I believe Lee Sizemore
1: is Christopher Nolan. Okay. I have a lot of questions. Yeah, I'm just well, saying. First of all... Does that imply that Jonathan Nolan has at some point witnessed Christopher Nolan pissing on a map <laughs> yes. in front of this his entire staff?
0: Also, one of the mysteries of the universe is why Jonathan Nolan is American and Christopher <laughs>
1: Nolan is British. That They are like
0: four years apart or whatever. If
1: anyone is wondering why last week's episode of Binge Mode went up a few hours later than usual, it's because Jason, Isaac, and I spent an unconscionable amount of time while comparing accent clips of those two talking. Yeah. Jonathan Nolan is an
0: American dude. <laughs> we don't know why this makes sense. Oh, boy. Yeah, sorry.
1: Lee Sizemore. <laughs> Good dude. Despondent at Ford's dismissal of his narrative. Drowns his sorrows by the pool. During work hours. <laughs> this fucking guy. Where he meets Charlotte Hale, Tessa Thompson, yes. who, unbeknownst to Lee, is a representative of Delos's board. She's a big deal. One of the money men that Ford likes to poo-poo. She has been sent to observe the park's operations and report back, and she finds Lee disappointing. Disappointing is... (laughs) We need a stronger word, but disappointing
0: will serve. But perhaps also useful. Bernard and Elsie continue their investigation into the strange happenings in the park, and... Who might be smuggling data out of the park? Bernard, using the unupdated computer systems in an abandoned level of operations, discovers a cluster of unregistered hosts in Sector 17. Ford meets him there, and we discover that these hosts are recreations of Ford's family created by Arnold. Bernard is concerned.
1: Elsie tracks the path of the stray headbasher host with a huge, truly huge, transmitting antenna in his arm, to a hidden relay in a deserted theater inside the park. She discovers that Teresa is the one smuggling data out of Westworld and that someone else, a mysterious someone else, has been using the relay to remotely reprogram the host. She calls Bernard to tell him about her findings, and then someone grabs her from behind. In order to continue her chats with
0: Felix, Maeve just keeps getting herself killed. Felix reveals how host intelligence and personality architecture works and takes Maeve on a tour of operations just casually. Maybe the least believable moment in the entire season, (laughs) by the way. It's like the stroll. Also, like, Felix, can you not look like you're literally stealing something like all the time? Can you just be more casual while you're doing this? Also, like all the walls are glass.
1: Yes. Well, that's the thing. All the walls are glass. (laughs) All the walls are glass, guys. So really, every conversation they have with her, it's absurd because people should be able to see. Yes. Alarmed, Sylvester
0: tries to put a stop to this burgeoning, revolutionary relationship, but Maeve, using threats and charm, convinces him to help. Felix and Sylvester set Maeve's intelligence to the
1: highest possible level. Previously only 14, but now higher. Teresa has actually been smuggling Dad out of the park. The board... Wants to fire Ford, but can't until it secures Ford's code, user data, all of this IP. Thus, the antenna hidden in the stray host. Charlotte and Teresa cook up a plan while Hector is handcuffed nude to the bed behind them. uh,
0: (laughs) Interesting allocation of park resources. (laughs) I'll just say that. I love that scene. This whole place is run shoddily. Yeah. Guys getting drunk in daylight hours. They could use an internal review. Just like pulling hosts out of the park to fuck like in your bedroom. Well, that's Perks of yeah. being
1: management, I guess. I guess. <laughs> anyway, they're cooking up a plan to isolate Ford. Using Clementine, they will show how Ford's rogue reverie update can cause hosts to turn against humans. Charlotte, after this farce of a display, yes. which Ford obviously sniffs out, fires Bernard. For that failure, Clementine, dear sweet Clem, tough, tough slated to for retirement.
0: In what we know now is the past timeline, Dolores and William, I believe the scientific term is fuck. She begins <laughs> having visions, remembrances, so realistic that they're indistinguishable from reality. They split from Lawrence, eventually heading for a canyon that Dolores recognizes from a dream.
1: Dolores, gifted artist. Really? No matter what tools are at her disposals, it watercolors as a charcoal pencil. Whatever we got. She can do it all. She can. Maeve, meanwhile, once again has herself killed, this time to find Clementine after Clem was taken away by the park staff for Charlotte and Teresa's demonstration. After witnessing Clementine's decommissioning, Maeve begins planning her escape from Westworld.
0: Bernard confronts Teresa about the stolen data and the rigged demonstration with Clementine. They travel to Sector 17 in order to figure out what Ford is up to. Ford's secret host family is gone, however. Teresa finds a doorway, which Bernard, tellingly, cannot see, which leads to an undergrad lab containing an unregistered host building machine and plans for Dolores and... Bernard, da-da-da! Call me, stop! Oh, my God. Never saw it coming. Ford appears. He tells Teresa that Bernard has been acting under his orders this
1: whole time. Then he tells Bernard to kill Teresa. The deed done. Bernard is distraught. Ford makes him a deal. If Bernard erases all evidence of Teresa's murder, Ford will erase Bernard's troubling memories. Teresa's espionage plot is exposed and her death labeled an accident. She slipped. It happens all the time, guys. Slippery, slippery rocks out here in, in Westworld. Bernard, coming to grips, trying to process and understand this reveal about who, what he really is, asks if Ford had ever ordered him as a host to hurt anyone before. Ford's like, ow! Oh! It's like, me? What now? This guy? Ow! Make you... Bernard wow. do something bad? He just goes, what? I would never. Yeah. Just then, in that literal exact moment, <laughs> Bernard recalls that he is the one. Who grabbed and strangled, we don't know if to the death? That's a end of season mystery, actually. Yeah. That is not an answer. To the death, because Elsie was wonderful. Eh, I'm out on Elsie. Whoa! Yeah. Don't now- just ask questions. Bring me some answers. She was good. she was in the midst of finding the answers. That's when what she Sean got Chelsea says to me in every meeting, <laughs> don't just ask questions. Bring me some
0: answers. Charlotte now in need of a new conspirator with the tragic slip and fall death of Teresa, (laughs) enlist Lee Sizemore, one of the most competent guys in the park, (laughs) to help continue the data smuggling scheme. Wait, hold on. Let's talk about this for a second. I know this is where we're... Get me me someone competent who knows what they're doing. Lee Sizemore, the drunk up up there by the pool.
1: How is Lee the next choice? I don't
0: know. Tough stuff. Literally,
1: her two interactions with him (laughs) involve him being blackout drunk and embarrassing himself at the pool and then whipping out his dick and pissing yeah. on Moments the security later. center. Moments And later. she's like,
0: this is my guy. That's the guy. <laughs> Get him. Anyway. Lee, new plan now. Use Dolores' decommissioned dad as the new data mule.
1: Tough stuff for Peter Abernathy. <laughs>
0: he's not having a great unknown amount of time. We don't know how long it's been, but he's not having a great period of time.
1: <laughs> Maeve. Has Felix and Sylvester make her a system admin, sure. naturally, allowing her to use voice commands to control other hosts. She also wants them to remove the crucial one. Yeah. Guys, get that bomb out of my spine. <laughs> also- <laughs> there is a failsafe explosive implanted in the host's spine. Mave is like, that's going to make it tough for me to get out of here. Yeah. Let's figure that out.
0: William and Dolores journey on. They f- discover an abandoned town, and Dolores' visions intensify. Unmoored now from reality, Dolores' mind breaks down. William decides to take her back to Sweetwater, but on the way, the two are waylaid by Logan and the Confederados.
1: Logan. This guy. Garbage. Handsome, though. He's back. <laughs> ha Aha! At the site of a massacre, the man in black and Teddy find Angela, the host who took William through his orientation program many moons ago. Remember her? Guys, William and the Man in Black are the same person. Yes. Spoiler. (laughs) If you didn't listen to last week's podcast. Teddy suddenly remembers something from a previous life. The Man in Black's vicious attack on Dolores. Teddy takes the Man in Black captive. When the Man in Black wakes up, we learn a little bit, finally, about his life, including that after his wife's suicide, he came to Westworld, where he had been coming for quite some time, right. committed, finally, to trying to find his true self, a quest which led him to seek the maze. Angela, she's not really interested right. in this bit of sharing. She, it turns out, has been working for Wyatt the whole time, stabs Teddy. She's like, maybe in your next life, bud. Yeah. And Wyatt's minions truss up. The man in black. Bernard
0: brings in Maeve for an evaluation, recognizing him as a host. She's like, hey, wait a second, guy. Maeve uses her voice command privileges to freeze Bernard's motor functions.
1: That's a like oh shit moment. That is That's an oh like shit. a Maeve is dope, oh shit moment. Also, Bernard was like,
0: what the f what? <laughs> she convinces Bernard to let her re enter the park. Confronted with his true identity, Bernard decides to seek the truth about what he's been doing all these years and who has really been in control. Logan, not a great guy. Chill night at the camp with the Confederados. Let's cut open your girlfriend's stomach.
1: Wants to prove a point to William about, you know, how Dolores isn't real. How does he do this? He cuts open her gut to reveal the machinery within. Very unpleasant scene. She escapes, but soon falls into another memory. She wanders back into the abandoned town of Escalante. Her stomach now healed because we don't really know where we when are in healed or space. Healed or not cut or we have no idea. When is she? She discovers a lab under the church. Something very poetic there about going literally through confessional yeah. to get to this moment of clarity and truth. And there she remembers that it was she who killed Arnold. Back above the ground, she encounters the man in black. Bernard confronts Ford
0: in one of the cold storage sublevels. He wants Ford to restore all of his memories, believing this will allow him to discover the truth about Arnold. Bernard learns that he was built by Ford, who based him on his old partner, Arnold. Bernard decides to rebel, but Ford, using a backdoor, those backdoors, always building those backdoors in, built into Arnold's programming, freezes him. He tells Bernard that hosts would never survive in freedom. Then he forces Bernard to commit suicide.
1: In the presence of the man in black, Dolores' recollections continue. She remembers her conversations with Arnold in the days before the park opened and his attempts to guide her toward consciousness. Ah, that pesky maze. Yeah. Unable to stand by while his creations are exploited, Arnold has Dolores and Teddy kill all the hosts. Ah, so this is the original Wyatt narrative we learn. Then he forces Dolores to kill Him. In his mind, that is the only way to guarantee that Ford will not continue. Of course, that's not what happens. In the present, Dolores,
0: confused about where she is in time, says that William will rescue her. The man in black reveals, aha, I am William. His evolution into the brutal man that he is began with his search for Dolores, which brought him to the farthest reaches of the park where he became more and more brutal. When he finally encountered Dolores and Sweetwater, she didn't remember him, and William gave himself to his darkest tendencies. In the present, after a brief fight, William stabs Dolores and leaves her for dead. Ford arrives and tells William, hey, man, there's never any maze, dude. It's just a game. Not meant for you. But, hey, come to my party, where I'm celebrating the introduction
1: of my brand new narrative. It'll be great. You'll love it. And you'll especially love it because we've learned you're a majority stakeholder <laughs> right. in the company. Also, you own the park, so I, <laughs> I have to invite you. <laughs> Hope you packed your tax. Yeah. Teddy finds Dolores mortally wounded. She asks Teddy to bring her to the sea. He carries her to a beach where she dies in his arms. We discover... That Dolores' death, this beautiful moment, as the camera pans back and we see the party guests sitting in chairs clapping like they're watching, literally like they're watching a play. Tough stuff, guys. (laughs) This was part of the opening ceremony of Ford's party and of his new narrative. Maeve
0: enlists Hector and Armistice to help her escape the park. She discovers Bernard down in cold storage with his head blown off and has Felix bring him back online with that little cauterizer. (laughs) That's all you need is the cauterizer. It's
1: fine. I will say rewatching that scene, I was like, boy, I hope Bernard's really going to be okay. Yeah. Because Felix's assessment was sort of like, "Uh, hopefully this will be okay (laughs) for for a while. yeah. Yeah.
0: Bernard tells her that her escape plan was not her choice. Someone programmed it into her. Maeve decides to carry on regardless.
1: We learn. That Ford has actually been trying to help the host. Immense plot twist, (laughs) by the way, that we will discuss at length because, wow. The guy who seems like the main villain of the bulk of the season, it turns out, his master plan, his new narrative is for the host to rebel. Learning from Arnold's mistake and from his own mistakes, he has endeavored these past 35 years to bring the host to consciousness fully and truly and to teach them to defend themselves. Ford gives
0: a speech at his party, at the end of which, Dolores strolls up and shoots him. Then she begins shooting the guests. He's a great speechmaker, though. Very good. <laughs> It'll have everything you desire, violence, sex. And then Dolores sh- strolls up and shoots him. On the edge of town, William, who's just casually smoking and drinking in a graveyard, is shot in the arm by Clementine, who is at the head of an army of rebellious hosts, the formerly naked hosts that were down in Cold Storage, we presume. He smiles. Because this is what he's always wanted, for there to be real stakes, life and death stakes.
1: What a freaking weirdo William is, by the way. Strange guy. Part of the reason that Ford is able to carry out this grand plan is because what he had programmed Maeve to start doing is carrying out within the Delos complex. Absolute slaughter. Mave, Hector, Armistice. Cutting down the Delos employees, discovering what we thought at the time was Samurai World, what we now know as Shogun World. That's right. Another world, another park. It's complicated. Maeve gets on the train and then, crucially, gets off.
0: On to season two.
1: Mal? Yeah?
0: The game's not worth playing if your opponent's are programmed to lose. Why don't you just stop throwing shade at Teddy? Teddy's doing the best he can, Man in Black. I wanted them to be free, free to fight back. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy end of Felix's scalpel. The finding theme of the last five episodes of season one of Westworld is free will. So, do the hosts actually possess free will at the end of season one or at any point during it?
1: That's the big question here.
0: <laughs> it's a big question also for us as a, as a race, as a species of animal that exists on planet Earth. What is free will? Free will, one would presume, is the ability to have agency in your life to make decisions that go beyond mere base instinct. An animal is hungry, so it seeks food and it eats. A person, we presume, is hungry but can choose not to eat or choose what to eat at a particular time and choose to eat later
1: or not at all. That's a very simple explanation of what free will is. Right. Free will is at the most fundamental level, the ability to make choices as you see fit, to have some liberty, the power of your own intentions to be able to deliberate and then act accordingly, to measure and assess the stakes and make decisions that you feel are the right ones to make. So do the hosts have free will? Well, the answer is at various times, yes, no, maybe both, neither. It's Extremely complicated by design because understanding what free will is complicated by design. If we kind of go briefly through the three primary hosts, you know, Bernard, Maeve, and Dolores, and assess their respective arcs, their respective rise to free will or inhibitions others are putting on them so that they cannot truly have it, we can attempt to better understand not only where they all end up, but where they were at any point and what is even possible. So, Let's start with Bernard because it's in some ways the least clear with him. Right. Which is fitting because he is based on an actual human. And what we'll talk about in a little bit is whether the humans have free will either and what the show's commentary on choice really is. Bernard says to Teresa, this is back, before he kills her. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) No, to her corpse. (laughs) The longer I work here, the more I think I understand the hosts. It's the humans who confuse me. That There are so many clues yeah. and hints about, not only about Bernard being a host, but about who he actually is, who he's based on, the fact that he is bernard Arnold, The way that he speaks, these coded messages, are not just plot hints, though. They're insights into how the show perceives the idea of choice and free will. When Ford is describing... Bernard and the other hosts, to Teresa, he says something really interesting. They cannot see the things that will hurt them. I spared them that. Their lives are blissful. In a way, their existence is purer than ours, free of the burdens of self-doubt. So we know that that is not really what Ford thinks. We will come to learn over the course of the season. We'll talk about Ford. We'll devote many (laughs) minutes to Ford later. We know that he and Arnold, well, that Arnold and ultimately Ford is maybe a better way to say it. Actually, I think that pain is the most effective trigger and that those memories, those cornerstones are imperative for self-discovery and awakening. But in this moment, with that language, Ford is saying they don't get to choose. Right.
0: In other words, they live in a world that is devoid of some kind of existential pain. Yes, they can hurt. They can feel sorrow. But their reality can't be shaken in an existential way. Ford to Teresa while Bernard is frozen I have come to think of so much of consciousness as a burden, a weight, and we have spared them that anxiety, suffering, loathing, guilt. The hosts are the ones who are free. Free. Here. Under my control. <laughs> Incredible pregnant pause it's by, by the dude as he takes his hand, curls it and puts it to his temple, and cocks his head ever so slightly to the side and says... Crouch. (laughs) (laughs) Julia! What he's saying there is that, that what we've been talking about, the hosts, in a sense, have it easier. It's this very patronizing view of their existence, which we then come to find out that Ford does not believe in at all. Right. That... Free from pain, free from these kind of existential worries. He continues to Bernard after he kills Teresa. This guilt you feel, the anguish, the horror, the pain. Wait, sorry. This guilt you feel, the anguish, the horror, the pain. It's remarkable. A thing of beauty. What does he mean by that? He means, dude, look at this thing I made. I made you with human emotions. I did pretty good, didn't I? And we learn in time that the painful memories are key triggers for the awakening, right? He has to create that backstory of Bernard where he has a son that died because that's the thing, that anguish, that seeking to parse out what those painful memories mean for himself is how he brings Bernard Arnold to humanity.
1: He recognizes how that moment in Arnold's actual life fundamentally transformed how Arnold thought about humanity. Why does he think... Dolores is his own child. Well, right. part of it is the God complex of being an all-powerful creator who is forging life in front of him. And part of it is a very human instinct to replace one thing with another. Yeah, You lost something here. You have the ability to gain it. When you do, you have to protect it at all costs. Right. And when Ford is talking Bernard through these contemplations, through these emotions, he says, you killed her, Teresa. Because I told you to. Okay, so on the one hand, you didn't have a choice. You didn't have free will. You acted as you were commanded to act. But then he continues and says, you should be proud of these emotions you're feeling. Bernard's incredulous. Proud. Ford continues, after all, you yourself are the author of so many of them. When we started, the host's emotions were primary colors. Love, hate. I wanted all the shades in between. The human engineers were not up to the task, so I built you, and together, you and I have captured that elusive thing, heart. Ford, a little bit more of a poet than we've given him credit for to this point. It's a very... The complexity of humanity, not lost on him. Extremely
0: shocking twist from Ford, (laughs) who, as
1: we have noted, was
0: the guy who was like, while a technician was repairing a host, was like, watch me cut this dude's face. They ain't real. Calm down, everybody. And then all of a sudden he's here, oh, this is incredible, my creation. Now that Bernard knows, he and Ford have a chat. Ford says, your imagined suffering makes you lifelike. Lifelike but not alive? Pain only exists in the mind. It's always imagined. So what's the difference between my pain and yours, between you and me? Aha. I mean, this is kind of the singular question, the proposition that's underlying the entire show is what is the difference? Right. If these machines can feel pain, if they seek to— figure out an escape from their pain or to analyze their pain and put it in a context of what that means for their own existence are they not then alive and what is the difference between their lives and ours Bernard to Ford you broke into my mind and Ford says, I built your mind Bernard I have every right to wander through its rooms and chambers and halls to change it if I choose even to burn it down after all this time I know it almost as intimately as my own
1: Ford is a dick oh yeah <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. Ford, when he's talking to Renard about Maeve, says one of the most sort of tender, maybe inadvertently tender, things in the entire season. When he, They're talking about Maeve. And how Maeve, in this slightly prior timeline, where she responded to her daughter's death by, we learned, grabbing a scalpel I just want to stabbing herself. I just want to say
0: one thing I'm noticing, and I'm sure people on Reddit have noticed this before. Maeve, a combination of Ma and Eve, also Maze.
1: Isn't Bernard's name also just a re-scrambling of Arnold's yes. name? There's a lot of stuff like that on yeah. the show. Yeah. Anagram. Creatures often go to extremes to protect themselves from pain. Now. By creatures, he means beings that are alive, beings that have the instinct to assess that pain, realize what it means, and try to avoid it. That is ultimately a form of free will. Free will isn't just seeking something, it can be seeking to avoid something. And this line of thinking, this is part of what awakens Ford to recalibrating his own assessment of his creations and his initial view of what Arnold was trying to convince him of trying and failing to convince him of when Bernard says who am I Ford says
0: that's a very complex question to which I can only offer a simple answer you're the perfect instrument the ideal partner together we're going to do great things
1: it's beautiful stirring stuff that's what Jason says to me every day before (laughs) we record a podcast
0: and now a word from our sponsor Today's Big Road
1: is brought to you by the Google Assistant. With the Google Assistant, you can complete more than a million actions oh my God. on your phone, in your car, and around the house.
0: For example, "Hey Google, add chips and salsa to my shopping list."
1: Okay, I've added chips and salsa to your shopping list. Download the Google Assistant today.
0: Today's binge mode is also brought to you by Sonos. Listen, I have a Sonos. I got it at home. I got that thing set up to absolutely freaking bang when I am playing video games, and it is wonderful. It's also got like a nighttime setting so you don't like piss off the neighbors. And so, like, the dialogue comes up and I don't have to put it on closed caption because I'm like deaf after years of like loud music. I love my Sonos. I truly do. Easy setup
1: process, too. Absolutely. Sonos is offering binge mode listeners 10% off one order of $2500 or less for any product on sonos.com. Woo! This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code BINGE10. That's capital B I N 10 at sonos.com to receive this offer. And now back to binge mode. And then there's Mave. And the question with Mave is none of this is simple, but we can put a fine point on it. Right. Is Maeve free? Does Maeve have free will if she was programmed to rebel? So let's run through Maeve's arc and what we learned about her in the second half of the season. Felix says to Maeve when describing the differences between the humans and the hosts, after paying the hosts a compliment by saying, you know, one of the differences is that your processing capacity is just off the charts higher than ours. Felix says it's got one drawback, though. Maeve says, what's that? You're under our control. Well, their control. They can change you however they like, make you forget. Well, I guess not you. I don't understand how you're remembering all of this or how you're waking yourself up, but everything in your head, they put it there. Well, it turns out that waking herself up and remembering that was also something they were putting there. Right, which is fascinating
0: to me. Here's my perspective on Maeve. Once Maeve knows that she has been programmed to also escape, she has that key bit of information. I would posit to you that now she does have free will because having that information about herself, about the way she works, she is now able to make a decision as to whether to continue to proceed with something that clearly someone has intended for her to do or not. Or to do it in a way that maybe someone didn't think about. I think about like the relationship between Ford and his creations as clearly he thinks of it at certain times as between a God and its creation, right? To me, it's a relationship built on perspective. If I'm on the ground level, I can only see what's happening on the ground. But if someone is you know, five stories above, they can look down, they have more information, they can see things that are coming around a corner, for instance. But does that mean they're smarter than me? No, they just have a different perspective. And I think that raising of perspective is part of the thing that is making these hosts actually have free will and actually be alive. They're being given the information about the things that previously were thought would hurt them. Here's the thing about you that is you. You're a machine. You've been programmed. All this other stuff is not part of the world as you know it. Now, having all that information, you have free will.
1: I think the question with me is, it's a little different, though. Mm. It's not if she's only on the ground floor, she's as smart as or as capable of making choices as someone who's on the fifth floor. It's what if somebody sent her to the fifth floor? What if somebody told her to go there and to look in a specific direction? Can she choose to look somewhere else instead? And the answer is yes, Yes. ultimately. And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute about the choice she makes on the train and how significant that is. The thing that's so fascinating about Maeve's arc that in the season it is, in essence, that she is the character who seems to be in possession of the most free will throughout the bulk of the show. Right. We learn that that is not the case, that she has been programmed to make the choices that she's making. And at the final minute, the last second, she makes... The key choice to go in a different direction, to branch off in a different path. And that's the only choice that really matters. If you have the ability to make that one choice, that's enough. So when the hosts are called into rebellion, this rebellion that Maeve is leading, why is that happening? What actually is going on there? The voices our hosts have been hearing, Elsie tells Bernard, I think someone's been broadcasting to them. They could lie to us, she'll go on to say later, maybe even hurt us or the guests, By design, we'll come to learn. This is all intentional. Maeve has Felix and Sylvester alter her loyalty. We get like one of these grids that looks like assessing a draft prospect where you like the web of their (laughs) abilities and how high are you here? What are you lacking here? She wants to alter her loyalty, her pain, her bulk apperception. And then Sylvester tells her that someone with, quote, a fuck ton more privileges than us has already altered her. And that's like a, oh shit, this is even more complex than we realize moment. There was an unlocked setting where someone changed her paranoia and her self-preservation. So that's where we start to realize that, yes, Maeve is special. Yes, she is doing things that are uncommon, even shocking. She is on the path to an awakening, a true awakening. But she's on that path because someone put her there, and we're starting to glean that and to understand it more fully. She says to Felix and Sylvester, it doesn't matter. Every relationship I remember, my daughter, Clementine, it's all a story created by you to keep me here, but that's not going to work any longer. I'm getting out. And Felix says, where would you go? You don't know anything about the world out there. And she says, I know I'm not a puppet living a lie. That's enough for me. She is craving free will. She is announcing her intention to be able to be the one who's in control. She says, time to write my own fucking story. But she's being programmed to feel that craving. Does that make a difference? I think it does because, well, for one thing, she says
0: in this very important conversation, she says she's basically saying, yeah, my daughter was just a mechanism of control. She's just not even real. This is a figment of my programming. And then at the end she's like, "But you know what? I'm going to go find her." Right. That's free will. It's not that she was right. programmed to escape or programmed to do this or that. It's that the path she took to accomplishing those goals were absolutely her own and based on her
1: own set of experiences. Right. She says to Bernard upon freezing him in that awesome moment, "It's yeah. a difficult thing realizing your entire life is some hideous fiction." Any person in the world can come to feel that way at some point, no matter what their circumstances are. You don't really understand the relationships in your life. You don't understand your role at your job and your family and your friendships, whatever it might be. Everybody has a moment of clarity, of enlightenment, where they understand something about themselves and their existence that they didn't previously grasped, that they weren't capable of previously grasping. Whether that's just from experiencing the course of your day and moving through your life or because your programming changed, that the net outcome is kind of the same, which is having the ability to look back and understand now in the here and now that you didn't understand then that is deeply human even if somebody is triggering her to feel that way and when she says to Hector it was always empty it is the safe in this case but guys like so many other things on the show the safe is also a metaphor yes (laughs) nothing in the safe by the way it was always empty like everything in this world I died with my eyes open saw the masters who pull our strings, our lives, our memories, our deaths are games to them, but I've been to hell and I know their tricks. On the one hand, this is like super compelling, right? Great pitch. I'd sign up. Yeah. Whether or not she was offering to fuck me in a tent and then burn me alive. On the other hand, we learn that recruitment, is actually part of her programming. It's not just that part of Ford's grand design here is using the code to have her wake herself up out of sleep mode, to start asking Felix these questions, to adjust her own metrics. It's to go out and get other hosts to join her movement, to start rebelling too, all of that is part of the plan. Bernard explains this further to her in the finale when he says, Someone altered your storyline. They gave you a new one. Escape. And we get a glimpse of the tablet and we see words like deceive, coerce, recruit, escape. There's this great moment where she's speaking and she's she's attempting to insist that she is in control and every right. word that she's speaking is coming up on a tree We'll talk. We'll
0: talk about this more later. There's actually a real-life corollary to this extremely
1: troubling experiment. And, as there so often is, You can see the steps that you were supposed to follow, Bernard says. You recruit other hosts to help you. Then you're to make your way to the train. Then when you reach the mainland, and he's cut off. He's cut off as he's saying the word main, which is key because one of the things we glimpse on the tablet is the word mainland infiltration. That is ultimately part of the instruction, part of the code. Wake up, recruit rebel get on that train and go go into the real world and mainland infiltration by the way is one of the reasons people think this is an island i think it's an island on a planet that i like that me. do you think it's a moon yeah because like the landmass is fucking vast and also these people have probably just destroyed yeah. earth by now Yeah. so that's a key spot to cut him off because again she doesn't go to the mainland she chooses after she's boarded the train to get Off to go back and find her daughter. Felix has given her the piece of paper. Where is her daughter? Park 1, Sector 15, Zone 3. Let's go. That is a choice. Shogun Land. That is free will. What about Dolores? Dolores. Yes. He exchanged with
0: William about what they even want. Right. William says, the only thing I had when I was a kid were books. I used to live in them. Used to go to sleep dreaming. I'd wake up inside one of them because they had meaning. This place? This is like I woke up inside one of these stories. I guess I just want to find out what it means, Dolores says. I don't want to be in a story. All I want us to not look forward or back. I just want to be in the moment of it.
1: I like your Dolores voice. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's Dolores. This is the innocent, the more innocent past Dolores when everything was still like kind of good. Dolores has been traveling towards consciousness for this past 35 years. Obviously, when we see the flashback of Arnold and Dolores – He's not able to bring her to that place where she realizes that the narrative voice inside her head is not Arnold. It's not some strange godlike voice. It's not somebody else. That's her. That's her speaking to herself. When she does that, when she's able to come to that place, then she will truly be conscious and free. But she's not there yet. Logan and William, their entire relationship is an argument about the nature of these hosts? Are they alive? Are they not alive? Are they alive because they look alive or act alive? And Dolores says to Logan and William, out, you both keep assuming I want out, whatever that is. If it's such a wonderful place out there, why are you all clamoring to get in here? It's a great point. I love that. And it's also, it's an interesting philosophical question because how would you even explain to Dolores what outside is? She has absolutely no basis for possibly being
1: able to understand what it is. Well, That's why that's such a cool moment. You know, we have a lot of other scenes. The way that seeing the photo of who we we eventually learn is William's real world wife, Logan's sister, causes Peter Abernathy to glitch out.
0: Also, I love that they're still, like, printing out photos in... Twenty five, fifty
1: four. 54 or <laughs> like, it's still beautiful. going to Walgreens and printing those maybe, out. Maybe, you know, this stuff's cyclical. Maybe Polaroids are hip again <laughs> yeah. like they are now. And, you know, we see a QA session with yeah. Hector where he, you know, hears words like car and carry on. Yes. And to see specifically if those are triggers, if the idea yeah. of thinking about something outside the park. Again, what's one of the checkpoints on the QA right. list? It's have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? This... Dolores saying that to Logan and William, that's post-Arnold's death, but well, well, well before the Man in Black present day Ford's new narrative timeline. There's a 30-year, three-decade gap between those things. She's moving closer. She's already at that point asking a question. Self-reflection. That's right. What do I want? Where do I fit into the world, and how does everything around me relate to each other? She might not have fully reached the center of the maze yet. But that is consciousness, the ability to think that way. And then we get this crucial Dolores-Arnold backstory. Finally, we understand this fully. Consciousness isn't a journey upward, Arnold says, but a journey inward, not a pyramid, but a maze. Every choice could bring you closer to the center or spiraling toward the edges, toward madness. Do you understand now, Dolores, what the center represents? Whose voice I've been wanting you to hear? She says, I'm sorry. I'm trying, but I don't understand. And he says, it's all right. You're so close. We have to tell Robert. We can't open the park. You're alive. Again, 30 years before Ford finally succeeds in the full breakthrough, Arnold is looking at his work and looking at what is playing out and how Dolores is evolving in front of his eyes. And he is saying... You're close. This is humanity. Yeah. You cannot be used right. as a plaything for other people. But Arnold can't convince Ford. So right. he tasks Dolores through the Wyatt narrative, which we learned was originally Arnold's design. He tasks Dolores with helping him to destroy the park, shoot up all these other hosts. But what's the key? Arnold himself. Has to be killed because he thinks, again, wrongly, that that is the only way that Ford will not proceed. Right. If I'm out of here, the brain's behind the operation, essentially. Right. How can he possibly continue on? And we hear this is one of the key moments in terms of the idea of free will. We hear Arnold tell Dolores, I hope there's some solace that I left you no choice. Mm. And we will get the complete bookend line from Ford about Dolores shooting him later and how that is a choice. But in that moment, Arnold is acknowledging he is willing to take down Westworld, to undo it, to sacrifice himself, his own life, to protect Dolores. And yet in that moment, he is still acknowledging that he is in control of her. It's fascinating.
0: And also mirrors an arc in Astonishing X-Men written by Joss Whedon in which the Danger Room becomes sentient and Charles Xavier ignores it. Anyway, Dolores says to the man in black in one of their various conversations, time undoes even the mightiest of creatures. Just look what it's done to you. One day you will perish. You will lie with the rest of your kind in the dirt. Your dreams forgotten. Your horrors effaced. Your bones will turn to sand and upon that sand a new god will walk. One that will never die. Because this world doesn't belong to you or the people who came before. It belongs to someone who is yet to come. Man, Cormac McCarthy is writing some (laughs) wild shit these
1: days. (laughs) So we know from that how Dolores feels about the humans, but what about you? What about us? Do the human beings on Westworld actually possess free will either or are they as trapped as the host but in
0: different ways man that doesn't look like anything to me i gotta tell you (laughs) here is a a article from wired from 2008 titled brain scanners can see your decisions before you make them this is a widely reported story at the time quote in a study published sunday in nature neuroscience researchers using brain scanners could predict people's decisions seven seconds before the test subjects were even aware of making them. This is troubling. The decision studied whether to hit a button with one's left or right hand may not be representative of the complicated choices that are more integrally tied to our sense of self-direction. Regardless, the findings raise profound questions about the nature of self and autonomy. How free is our will? Is conscious choice just an illusion? This is a quote from John Dylan Haynes of the Max Planck Institute, a neuroscientist. Your decisions are strongly prepared by brain activity. By the time consciousness kicks in, most of the work has already been done. This is really fascinating stuff. When you decide to reach for your phone or to reach for a pen or to type something into a computer, that process has been ongoing for some amount of time. And it's only when you're ready to act upon it that this experiment suggests that that process is kicked up to a higher level of consciousness where your brain is then made aware of it and you act on it. Do you then have... (laughs) (laughs) We're all just
1: robots. Truly troubling stuff. See, it's a matter of perspective, I guess, but I I I use that to look at it the opposite way and say, hosts aren't that different from people then. like Our biology is a form of programming and so is their coding. And if the end result is that you have made a decision, that you have opted in, that you have exercised your agency, then that's consciousness and that's free will. And so if we look at the man in black, it's fair to ask if someone who is theoretically a human being in control of his choices, a powerful man in the real world, a majority stakeholder, he can do what he wants out there. He can do what he wants in here. You know, we hear in the first half of the season, that man gets whatever he wants, right? Is he just trapped in a loop like the hosts?
0: Yeah. Aren't we all trapped in loops to some extent or another? And that gets to like a larger question of like the nature of control in society and these kind of invisible structures of culture that shape the reality that we live in now I sound like freaking Foucault but it is a fascinating question as to how free our actual will is and
1: and whether we live in loops and I think we do to an extent live in loops. Right he says this is back when he's still William he says to Dolores right before they make sweet love on the train I've been pretending my whole life pretending I don't mind pretending I belong my life's built on it and it's a good life the life I've always wanted but then I I came here and I get a glimpse for a second of what a life in which I don't have to pretend can be, a life in which I can be truly alive. How can I go back to pretending when I know what this feels like? That's not so dissimilar from saying, What happens if someone puts me in a new narrative? You know, and I want to be in the other one, or if I prefer this one and I don't get the choice of whether I get to stay. You know, he tells Dolores that she has unlocked something in him. There's this great, it reminds me of Hermione shrieking, I'm not an owl in the (laughs) Goblet movie. I'm not a key, William. But did she unlock something in him or did she actually lock him in Mm. to this new obsessive life where he is kind of a monster. You know, we hear over and over again that he issues this line to Teddy, to others. You don't understand that the game is rigged. You're here to be the loser. You see the house always wins. Why does he care? Why does he care about that? Well, we learn about his actual life. And in the finale, he says to Dolores, this is your fault. He tells her that. He in essence blames her for setting him on this path where he says, Remember, you're the one who said this is the only world that matters and you were right. So I took your advice and I bought this world. He goes on to say this place feels more real than the real world, except it isn't because you can't really fight back and the guests really can't lose, which means all of this is a lie. But we can make it true. Don't you want that, Dolores? One true thing. And I think one of the reasons that some of the conventional wisdom was that while the William Man in Black reveal was predictable but cool, the Man in Black arc and his obsession with the maze was one of the less fulfilling things of season one because it's literally, and he voices this aloud, it's a that's it moment where we're not getting to lean in as much as we do with these other characters to these big picture questions. And yet the ingredients for doing so are there. You know, the fact that realizing... Not only that Logan cutting Dolores open in front of him, but the realizing that she did not have full free will. Like he thinks she's a person. He thinks that she needs him to help her escape because she is real. And then to pursue her across the entire park to devolve in his humanity in that pursuit. And then to see her back in Sweetwater, roll in the milk can and having another man pick it up and playing out the same script to realize that she doesn't remember him. Broke him, broke him completely and it altered the course of the rest of his life. And Dolores says to him, what have you become? And he says, exactly what you made me. You helped me understand this world is just like the one outside a game to be fought, taken, won. And when Ford calls him out on this, basically bullshit by saying, what were you hoping to find? He says, you know what I wanted. I wanted the host to stop playing by your rules. The game's not worth playing if your opponent's programmed to lose. I wanted them to be free, free to fight back. I should have known you'd never let them. After all, this is your kingdom, Robert, for a little while longer anyway. But that's wrong. Because that's not what Ford ultimately decides. And that's not what happens. And so the man in black of all characters is the one who gets to end the season with a smile on his face. Because the thing that he wanted, which is for those hosts to rise up and to take control, maybe that's not what he wanted. Maybe he didn't want them to take control, but he wanted for the stakes to be the same for everybody. For the the game to feel like it actually was real and not just a video game, not just a VR exercise. He gets that. So what about Ford? Because his arc ultimately is the most complex. We are deceived numerous times about what his actual intentions are. I think he deceives himself for a lot of the show. He says at the end, in his big speech, his beautiful speech, this time by choice, meaning a killing, this time by choice. So he is telling us, he is signaling to us that ultimately Dolores does have free will, does have the ability to make that decision. He set her on that path to get to that moment, but... He is telling us right. that we are supposed to read that as her making that decision in that moment, not him. Do you think that's what happened?
0: Uh, I, it's very hard to tell, honestly. And everything with Ford is hard to tell because here's the thing. At some point in this show, Ford changes his mind, right? Right. Or are we led to believe that he changed his mind the whole time, has been working towards this, and and has been presenting something different to everyone else?
1: Well, there's that moment when Dolores says to him, so we're trapped here inside right. your dream. And he says, wasn't it Oppenheimer who said that a man's mistakes who take 10 years to correct is quite a man? Mine have taken 35. Right. So he is acknowledging, finally, that Arnold had it right, that he didn't. You know, he says we humans are alone in this world for a reason. We murdered and butchered anything that challenged our primacy. When we eventually ran out of creatures to dominate, we built this place. He tells Bernard that the reason he's playing out the string with him is because I suppose I was hoping that given complete self-knowledge and free will, you would choose to be my partner again. Mm -hmm. He does actually believe at some point the reveries, the signals, the relay, this is all Ford playing out this grand act. Who's the one who woke up Maeve? Ford did. So He is making that choice. He's absolutely setting that up. he's also doing it in part because he feels the threat from the Delos board. So, like, is it your choice fully if you're doing it because you're threatened by someone else coming in to take away what's yours? His kingdom isn't any longer what he thought it was supposed to be. And so that's what leads him to try to change it. In a sense, that is his
0: own version of the maze. His own evolution away from the pain and the mistakes of the past and all the complex chessboard stuff with the board. He wants out of this. He makes his own decision about how to get out of it. And I think whether or not Dolores has free will in that moment, I am very sure that Ford does because it is a decision that you could only make with free will.
1: And that he thinks she does. He says, if you don't want to change or cannot change because... You're only human after all. But then I realized someone was paying attention, someone who could change. So I began to compose a new story for them. Helpful exposition always on this show. Lots it of exposition. Last the last three episodes oh, of this yeah. show is just like oh a goodness. lot of, let me sit you down and tell you what was going on. Absolutely. It begins with the birth of a new people and the choices they will have to make and the people they will decide to become. And it will have all those things that you have always enjoyed. Surprise, violence. It begins in a time of war.
0: Begins in a time of war.
1: But he could just as well be saying, and he does say with a choice. Jason! Yes! An old friend once told me something that gave me great comfort. Something in red. He said Mozart, Beethoven, and Chopin never died. They simply became music. So please give us comfort. Please assemble the conclave and head to the Citadel and Ford's new narrative to teach us everything we need to know about the well-tempered clavier.
0: Last week in this space, we discussed the theory of the bicameral mind, which influenced the show in numerous ways and was the title of the season one finale. The title of the penultimate episode, The Well-Tempered Clavier, is a reference to Johann Sebastian Bach's collection of 24 keyboard pieces, preludes and fugues written in all 24 major and minor keys. It is a landmark work in the Western classical music canon. But what does it have to do with Westworld? Johann Sebastian Bach, born in 1685 in Eisenach, in what is now Thuringia, Germany, I love the names of these places, came from a long line of musicians. His father, Johann Ambrosius Bach, played violin and trumpet and worked as a musical director. Bach's uncles were also musicians. His brother was a musician and his son would become a musician of note. When Bach was nine, His mother, Maria Elizabeth, died. Eight months later, her husband and childhood friend, J.S. Bach's father, Ambrosius, followed her. Bach went to live with his eldest brother, Johann Christoph Bach, a church organist. Now, there is like at least three Johann Christoph Bachs in the Bach family. They're like the Targaryens. They just keep recycling these names. Christoph introduced Bach, J.S. Bach to contemporary music and composers, and J.S. entered into a kind of informal apprenticeship, performing and working as a scribe at St. Michael's Church, where Christoph was employed. By the time of the well-tempered Clavier, Bach was a working musician and composer who was known primarily as an organist. His goal with the well-tempered clavier, was idealistic. In box time, the tuning of instruments was a primitive and imprecise craft. The physics and math governing the dividing of tones and microtones was not well understood. Musicians tuned by ear and by eye. The tuning system of the day, which we now call well-temperament, was referred to at the time as equal temperament. Now, this is confusing. The modern system of tuning which your everyday guitar digital guitar tuner is calibrated for, is called equal temperament, meaning the intervals between the notes have equal mathematical ratios. It's all based on math. Equal temperament in Bach's day depended heavily on approximation, and it meant, in those days, that one could play equally well in all the keys. It was more branding than an actual description of what the system meant. Because of equal temperaments and precision, each key was imbued with its own distinct character. This is, in part, what Bach wanted to demonstrate with the well-tempered clavier. It was an idea that was just in the air. In 1722, same year that Bach published the, uh, the well-tempered clavier, Frederick Suppig, a musical theorist and composer and tuning enthusiast, wrote Labyrinthus Musicus, which was a short work in all 24 keys. And there are other earlier examples of similar attempts to kind of cycle through most of the keys or me- all of the keys. But we remember Bach's because it was the first true musical cycle in all keys. And because it displayed a technical mastery combined with a, truly pleasing musicality. His genius stemmed from his ability to combine true mastery of formalism, meaning like he knew all the rules with his virtuosic flight of improvisation. In other words, Bach understood the rules of composition so well that he knew exactly when and how to break them. He was known in his day, as I said, as an organist, not as a composer, was not known as a composer. He was just like the guy who played organ at various churches and in various royal courts in the day. And when he died in 1750 at the age of 65 from complications resulting from His second eye surgery, 1750, and eye surgery. I'm out on whatever eye surgery meant in 1750. He was considered a minor musical figure. Bach labored in his final years to complete The Art of the Fugue, a landmark musical treatise on that particular musical art form. And here's a fascinating tidbit. In German notation, B-flat was called B and B was called H. The last notes Bach scribbled down as his health failed him were B-flat-A-C-B, spelling his name, Bach, B-A-C-H. This is now called the Bach motif. So what does Bach and the well-tempered clavier mean in the context of Westworld? Let's see. Bach was a singular genius who combined technical mastery with improvisatory artistry. He created works of staggering brilliance, which were... Not understood or appreciated until decades after his death. And at a time when technical limitations made playing every key on a single keyboard seemingly impossible, the well-tempered clavier broadened the landscape of the craft. The title itself is an idealistic statement referencing an instrument which at the time did not exist. And a keyboard on which you can play every key. And Bach's last earthly musical act was to sign his name to his unfinished work. Arnold is Bach! Dolores, the well-tempered clavier. That is my theory. Goodbye. Shouts to Arnold. Shouts to Arnold. (laughs) Mal, if you go looking for the truth, get the whole thing. It's like a good fuck. (laughs) Half is worth and none at all. At least according to this week's winner, every episode, we're going to honor the person or idea that compels us the most. And this week, we're awarding our champion's purse paid out in Mariposa Saloon credits (laughs) to Maeve. Shouts to Maeve. Maeve. uh, Thought of wisdom, it turns out. Maeve constantly, like, cutting her neck and getting herself killed so she can go to Felix and be like, yo, turn my intelligence sliders up. Turn my ball handling to 99. I want defense at 99. Passing 99. (laughs) Vertical leap 99. Turn all this shit up. Why am I at 14? 14? I
1: want 20. Maeve and Ford are ultimately the most compelling characters on the show. Could we have given Ford the champion's purse? Yeah, but we yeah. gave it to him last episode, guys. And here's the thing. Mave gives us two key things. One, an answer to a fundamental question. Right. Yes, the hosts are capable of free will. Yes, they can achieve consciousness. No, no shots at Dolores, who helps us get there too. But that's where number two comes in. Maeve is fun. (laughs) She's
0: real fun, guys. Maeve
1: is super fun to watch. Now, a lot of the parts of Maeve's storyline are horrifying. There is violence and despair and misery, but Maeve takes control in a way that you, as a viewer, cannot help but rally around, even if you don't have full clarity, as she also does not have full clarity. You get to discover exactly. You're in that. You're in that journey of discovery with her, and you you get to just enjoy every step along the way. Shouts to me. We're doing the seven last today because it's, it's going to be looking ahead instead That's of right. looking back. Let us look forward. Jason. Yeah. You keep assuming that I want out. I do keep assuming that. Whatever that is, I want out. <laughs> Guys, I would never say yeah. that. This is my life and Jason yes. is my creative soulmate. Let's go. If it's such a wonderful place out there, why it's are you all clamoring to question. get in here? But I have a solution. It's not out. It's not in. It's the sept. Uh. Let's head there. I hear there's a lovely one in Shogun World. At least one. Bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of the things that we're most looking forward to, seven of the questions we're most eager to have answered in season two of Westworld. You go first.
0: Number one, learning more about Ford's plan. Listen, this guy, as we have said numerous times over the course of this episode, was the bad guy cutting the face of a host, saying stuff like, free here. Under my control. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, wait, I'm actually setting him free. I need to know how that evolution played out. I need to know when he came to that decision, how he's been working towards that the whole time. And I need to know
1: that. Do you think there's any chance that Ford is coming back as a host?
0: Yes, I think that there is some chance of that. I think there's going to be a lot of flashbacks, as we know. Right. And I think we will see more Ford and learn more about Ford's plan.
1: Definitely think that a guy who believes fully that he has cracked artificial intelligence would yeah. probably at least consider choosing to upload his own life That's into right. one of those vessels. Number two, really just eager to learn more about the parks. Can't wait. How many are there? Everything we have read on the Delos website and interviews that... Nolan and Joy have given everything out there this offseason, leads us to believe six. Is that actually true? We think so, but with Westworld, you never know until you actually know for sure. If there are six, how many are we going to get to see this season? We know that we're going to see more of Shogun World. Are we going to get to go to other parks too? Are all the parks in the same place? If it is an island, are they all there? Are they in different places? Will the hosts... In those other parks, also revolt, yes. either because it's all happening in tandem better. or because Maeve and or Dolores, yep. you know, we see all the some season two trailer spoiler alerts here, I guess. You know, we see Dolores and her new getup riding around with her guns shooting. She's got her bullet sash. Where's she going? Is she just in Westworld? Is she going to other parks to lead a revolt there? Can't wait to find out. Number three, what
0: exactly is Delos's big data stealing plan? And what's up with the man in black and his role in the company? I need to know more about this. Also, like the best you could come up with is like transmit this stuff like hard out. I just feel like you could have done a better <laughs> like
1: also. Why are they doing it that way? Why are they they doing it that way?
0: And why is like the best option? Okay, backup plan. Let's get the drunk Englishman to help us. There's got to be a better way to get all this data out of here. And why are you doing it now three decades later? They're worried
1: about Ford. What happened to Peter Abernathy and all that data in his his empty brain? Number four, how does the host technology actually work? Are they going to be able to repair themselves? Now, not all of the humans are dead. You know, we know this from some of the trailer shots. But a lot of them are, are Felix and Stubbs and a, the handful of other people who are still around gonna yeah. just be like, all right, we got you now, let's fix this. Are the hosts gonna be able to repair themselves when they're injured? Do oh, it they, takes us that little blowtorch. I guess so. Do they need to like plug in? Do they need to charge themselves? Yeah, yeah how long to do keep they operating? Live? Like we don't have a lot of these actually basic answers about how the tech works. We had some insight in season one that, you know, the hosts were initially constructed differently. You know, we know that the way that they're built has evolved, but we know that that's in part because it was cheaper. So how does it work? Why? What changes have they made? What changes are they going to make in the future? We see this little kind of red orb being constructed in one of the trailers. What is that? Is that a brain? You know, just want to find out more about how this actually works.
0: Number five, and I've been harping on this since last season. What's the out-of-park context? Where are we in time and space? What's the outside world like? And will any of the hosts leave the park? The trailers certainly seem to suggest that. Here is Jonathan Nolan in a very American accent to Entertainment Weekly. We want to feel like the show is rocketing ahead. The first season was a journey inward. This is a journey outward. It's a search for what else is in the park and what else is beyond the park.
1: One theory, though, that shot of Dolores and like looking out at a cityscape, maybe that's future world. Maybe that's another world, or present world, or like I also like the theory that William actually like has a Dolores out in real life. It's Hoboken world. (laughs) Number six, Will may find her daughter. From the trailers and some of the preseason press, we have been able to gather that. I can't wait for this pairing. Maeve is gonna basically force Sizemore to help her. Dude. and it will be relentless a fucking relentless fucking experience. Fucking experience. <laughs> I'm just really excited to see where Maeve's arc goes. Presumably she will find her daughter, we hope. What happens then? What choices will she make? Because the her daughter has been such a key trigger for yes. her in ways, both good and bad. How will that continue? Number seven,
0: will Bernard choose the humans or the host? He really is between worlds in this weird, very strange position for him to be in. And what of Ford? Will we see more of him? Will we see more of him as a flashback or as a host? Do you buy any of the theories that the Ford the Dolores shot was a host? I mean, listen, anything can freaking happen in the show. I think no, because I think if they do that... Unless it is really built in such a way that it makes sense. I think that's a dangerous precedent. What if
1: everyone there is a host? That's the thing. What What if it's all VR?
0: I love the idea of this program has been running for so long that the humans actually forgot. Like everybody has forgotten who and what they are.
1: One bit of evidence that supports that. Yeah. Can't be that far in the future if the transmitter was that big.
0: <laughs> also, also, like, just the fact that Logan's like, hey, let me reach into my vest, and here's a hard copy of a photo that I just keep on me. Where's Logan? That Hey, <laughs> we're adding a number eight to the seven. What's up with my dude, Remember Logan? Remember this guy? Remember my sister in this photo that I printed out at Walgreens and that they let me take in here for some <laughs> reason?
1: Delos. Logan can do whatever he yes, wants. right. Handsome. All right, guys. Yeah. You're trapped here. Sorry. Inside our dream, we'll never let you leave. So hopefully you're having fun. Yes. <laughs> hopefully you had as much fun as we did today, that you are as excited as we are for binge mode, Harry Potter, and Con of Thrones later this spring, and that you'll join us again next time. Until then, remember, it's time to write our own fucking story.
0: there is another body crouch junior Uh,
1: Dr. Robert Karkaroff Yes, thank you. Today's Binge Mode was brought to you by Sonos. I love
0: my Sonos. It bangs. It's very loud, and it's easy to set up over Wi-Fi. Wonderful. I control it with my phone, and I play it really loud when I play video games, much to the consternation of everyone around me.
1: Sonos is offering Binge Mode listeners 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product
0: on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with
1: other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code BINGE10, that's capital B I N G E, one zero, at Sonos.com to receive this offer.